everyone, welcome to this video interview with Dr. Patrick Bidewe. This video is meant to transform your health so that you enjoy wellness all the days of your life. Seated with us is Dr. Patrick Bidewe, who is set on transforming healthcare delivery in Africa. His journey through tertiary academia began at Case Western Reserve University, Cleveland, Ohio, USA. He earned a bachelor's degree in chemistry from George Washington University, followed by a bachelor's in pharmacy from Howard University, Washington, D.C. As a licensed pharmacist, he practiced in retail and hospital pharmacy, simultaneously attending medical college at Howard University, Washington, D.C. Upon completion, he proceeded to John Hopkins University, Baltimore, Maryland, for internship and residency in internal medicine. Both certified in internal medicine in 1996, he subsequently accomplished an executive MBA at the University of South Florida, Tampa in 2003. Presently, Dr. Patrick is the medical director of Caribbean Health and Nutrition, a service of Carib Health Limited. He is passionate about preventing and reversing chronic degenerative disorders of contemporary society, including but not limited to diabetes, cancer, hypertension. So this is the great doctor that has joined us in this video today. And we thank you very much, doctor, for joining us. Thank you for having us at the time. Thank you very much, Godwin. Thank you. Some time ago in your radio interview, Wellness Afar, you asked if one wants to know more about cancer, about the truth concerning cancer, once you contact you, and I did, and you sent me a list of two books that I should read. One of them was The China Study, and I can say that that book blew my mind. It revealed so much to me, talking about health and nutrition, and I can really say it's the best book on nutrition that I've ever read. And if I had not read that book, we may not be having this interview today. So the wealth of information I've gotten from that book prompted me to discuss this with my team and we decided to share that knowledge with people and who is the best person to do that we believe it is the one and only dr patrick so we want to start with that comprehensive project carried out by dr t colin campbell and we would like you to delve a little bit deep in that project so that our viewer can understand how that project or the implications that that project has for the world today Thank, thank you for this platform to share some of this knowledge. The, the journey through cancer, really, and that book, one can deal with from several perspectives. We'll take maybe two or three of today. Firstly, historically, many of us are lacking a perspective or a prism, a lens through which to understand this ailment called cancer. Even in the US, you'll find societies or you'll find documentation that cancer is actually a more recent phenomenon. Like in the last 100 to maybe 120, 130 years. Because there prior, it was negligible. Transport this to other countries, developing countries. Many would say, we don't know if cancer existed in Nigeria before, but it is here today. Maybe, maybe people died of it 
but we just don't know what happened to documentation. Interestingly, their books documented by early missionaries and early missionary doctors who were very candid and quite clear in defining what ailments tended to be among the more traditional society and what ailments plagued those who lived a Western lifestyle. The China study used a basis of data, tremendous data compiled from China. China has several tens and tens and tens of provinces. And they looked at disease trends. They sent out a lot of public health workers to gather the data from several, just every corner of China. It was compiled into literally an encyclopedia of cancer in China. Dr. T. Kulun Campbell came across this document and the gentleman behind this massive stuff. And truly for a nutritionist or an epidemiologist, this was frankly a treasure book. On his own, Campbell had had some research that got him questioning nutrition and contemporary diseases. When he joined forces with his compatriots in China, the data that was looked at and the trends that were analyzed revealed some startling concerns and also affirmed certain historical facts. In China, rural area versus urban area, there was very clear difference in the nature of disease, including cancer. More prevalent in the urban areas, minimal in the rural areas. Again, we analyzed the nutritional differences of disparities. And we saw in the rural areas, there was very little consumption of animal-based products. However, in the urban areas, there was tremendous influence of Western diet and heavy emphasis on animal-based products, whether it's the meat or the protein or the other byproducts. One of the major conclusions of the book reached. Again, showing the studies that were done was the correlation between animal-based products and cancer, which is what we're talking about today, and plant-based nutrition and lack of cancer or reduction in cancer prevalence. There are several other realities that will woke us up to. I'll pause and if the, those questions come up, then we'll take the other major teaching points out of the book, the China study. Thank you, Doctor. Reading the China study, I got information about what Dr. Campbell came across even before the China study. Now, like for instance, the study did that was carried out in the Philippines with children, where he got realized Dr. Campbell himself was a farm boy. Who took uh, farm animal products and others. So he became disconcerted to him when he found out in the Philippines that it was the children of the wealthiest family who consumed more protein that were more prone to liver cancer, the cancer of the liver. So that was the first, the, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, in that book, that was the first surprising revelation he got. And he moved on to carry out an in-depth laboratory study, or rather, he came across, in fact, he came across another study 
that was carried out by Indian researchers, where they they carried an, an, an experiment on animals. They divided the rats into two groups, fed a, an amount, a level of um, carcinogen, administered some level of um, aflatoxin, if I remember correctly, to the to the first group of rats, and also fed the same amount to the second group. But to the first, in the first group, they and they administered a diet of 20% protein. And in the second group, animal protein, animal protein, 20% animal protein. And in the second group, that was fed the same amount, the same level of aplatoxin, they administered a 5% protein diet, animal protein. And the revelation was shocking. For all the rats that were fed the 20% animal protein, they all showed evidence of liver cancer, cancer of the liver. They all. And for all of the rats in the second group that referred a 5% animal protein diet, none of them showed evidence of cancer of the liver. I mean, it's startling because I'm not I'm not a scientist, but I guess in the in the world of research, we hardly come across it's it's not we don't come across that 100 to 0 score. In experiment, I mean, this is 100, 20% animal protein, and then zero for those that have. So, the lower, when it's lower, the protein diet is lower. They found that the the possibility of getting that is lower. So, it was quite sadly. Now, that was even the second. He went on. I think it was after then. Okay, okay, doctor. Let's, let's, let's address this. Address this. Yes. You've used some words so our viewers may not understand, understand okay. like aflatoxin. Yes, yes. Toxin is a toxin that is found primarily when grains are stored for long periods of time, whether it's um, in a part of Nigeria, it's granot, is a major source of aflatoxin. <coughs> it's a toxin produced by certain microorganisms when you store grains for a long period of time. Traditionally, we are taught that aflatoxin causes or has a very high correlation with cancer of the liver. And in fact, we have um, a lot of herbicides made today um, chemicals used today to prevent these uh, microorganisms from occurring in legumes and grains, therefore avoid the aflatoxin on production. The teaching was aflatoxin causes cancer. In this study, as it very well explained, Campbell showed that it wasn't necessarily the toxin itself that caused the cancer. There was another factor, a factor of nutrition, and in particular, animal protein. Again, you mentioned Dr. Campbell grew up as a farm boy in the rural parts of America, where he consumed animal protein daily, be it in the form of the meat or the dairy, dairy products. So he was quite shocked. For a man who was an advocate of animal protein as a way to increase um, quality of nutrition globally, suddenly his research is countering what he has been preaching. It takes a brain soul. It takes a truly objective person. It takes somebody who is willing to pull the carpet from under his feet and land on his bum bum to actually stop and think and say what I was taught, what I have been teaching, what I read is questionable and possibly, possibly even incorrect and flawed. That kind of awakening is that uh, the mark of a true scientist. 
the willingness to give up what you believe for tens and tens of years, what you teach, and adopt what the data is showing you right in front of your eyes. He went against the entire grain of what the American dietetic associations, societies, what they teach. So, as a research study, the impact was on so many levels. He had to wake up to his own internal demons. And yes, the study was very clear that those who consume high amounts of animal protein are more prone. The protein creates an environment in the body that allows cancer cells to thrive. And when there's minimal or absent animal protein, it creates an environment in the body that protects the body against even toxins or other agents that will trigger cancer. And even after that study, and yet before the China study, Dr. Campbell did not just, you know, as a scientist himself, or yes, as a nutritional biochemist himself, he always questions things like that. And he went on to carry out an in-depth laboratory study in which with, with varying, he, he varied the protein levels being fed to animals in his own study and find out that he could turn on and off like a switch. The, the cancer growth. Now, it's in fact, Doctor, what do you have to say about that? Because it was it was, it was kind of, it's astounding. I mean, I recommend that that book to the viewers. Um, it's called the China Study. The title of the book is the China Study, written by Doctor T. Colin Campbell, and his own, his own and with his own son. So you should try and lay your hands on that book to get to go deeper into what you are talking about because it's going to open your eyes on so many levels, questioning many things that you take it for granted or just taking you've taken them as you know like a creed. You believe in them that may end up that may actually be affecting you. So we recommend that you read that book. So Doctor, what do you have to say about this research? In which because I understand that cancer cancer growth is like a, as Doctor Colin explained three three stages: cancer initiation, cancer promotion, and cancer progression. So when he fed the chemical carcinogen, that's aflatoxin, and then he administered um, a low protein diet. The the it prevent it inhibited the initiation of the cancer. It inhibited it, and even when initiation of the of cancer was even complete, and he fed a low protein diet, animal animal protein diet, it stalled. I mean, it stalled the subsequent growth of cancer. That that to me that's my blow. You touch on so many areas. One, as you work with the sun, you have been feeding an animal. Yes. Protein diet all these yes. years. Yes. It was an ultimate weakening for the entire family. Number two, the carcinogen is something that triggers cancer cells to grow. He showed us very clearly that because there's a family history of cancer, or you have genetics of cancer, does not mean you must have cancer. Something must trigger the, gene the genes. And I love the statement you use switch. You may have the genetics, but does it mean you come out with cancer? No, it doesn't. Something must trigger, something must put on the switch that causes the genes to be expressed for cancer. This is an area of medicine we call epigenetics. Because daddy has diabetes, and because I have the genes for diabetes, does not mean I will get the disease. I have to create an environment within my system 
or putting in my system certain things that would trigger, that would switch on that cancer gene and suppress or switch off the non-cancer gene, the cancer-protective genes for the disease to now show up in this case, cancer or, or diabetes. Let me emphasize this point again because many of my colleagues, doctors, and many of my health um, professionals, pharmacists, nurses, were taught and trained that most of our cancers tend to be genetic. But what science is saying now, thanks to Dr. Campbell and many other scientists, is that no, the factor of genetics in cancer, the factor of hereditary or fam uh, familial of history is marginal. It's those other things that play above the genetics that are key. Your nutrition, your environment, your lifestyle. And I'll add two more, your mindset and your spiritual balance. Other books you will read and we'll discuss those aspects. To give a, um, an analogy, it's like you're born with a train track. You get to decide what train you will run on the track. The train that stops every now and then and gives you a lot of headaches, you have to keep fixing it, or the train that runs smoothly, effortlessly. That's one of the biggest take-homes out of this book. Your nutrition is one of the epigenetic keys. It tells you, it influences what genes you express and what genes you suppress. In the, in the rats that got 20% animal protein, switched on the cancer genes. Those who got 5% switched off the cancer, literally switched off the cancer gene. And for those who doubted the study, what did he do? He switched. After a couple months, he made a switch. Those who got 5% now got percent. Those who got 20 now got 5%. And guess what happened to their can to their tumors? Exactly. Follow the curve. Follow the curve. So those who now got 20% eventually showed evidence of liver cancers. Those who did not, those who got 5%, their cancer actually dropped. Awaken us again to the possibility that cancer is reversible. Again, many of us in the health professions are taught and we impart that cancer is not reversible. Once you get cancer, yeah, you must use certain things to treat it or eventually to do you in. But science again is sharing and saying that actually cancer is reversible. So there's just so much in that book. I was intending to ask you the question about genes, and uh, you've touched on it. Well, because many people believe that once my, I inherited these genes from my parents, so there is nothing I can do about it. I'm going to get. But you've touched on it, and you've shown that nutrition, the effect of nutrition, trumps that of the genes. So we talked about animal, animal protein. Um, I, I would like to go, to go deeper on that because uh, we, uh, I want our viewers to understand. You know, when we just say animal protein, okay, they may still be, they may still have some questions in their mind. Okay, when we say animal protein, what do we really mean? We eat, okay, we eat product, we eat this, we eat that. What what are those things that really cause this effect that we really know? I'm glad you've raised this this area. We need to really clear. There is any ambiguity. Animal protein. 
we have two major sources of protein. Protein is one of the major three food groups, carbohydrates, fats, and oils, and then protein. Protein, we, are, we understand, is, are the building blocks for our muscles. Whether it's heart muscles or skeletal muscles, your strength, all depend on protein. Now, protein from the animal source, to put it as simple as possible, if it walked, if it talked and made sounds, if it had two eyes, if it had a, mo a mother, if it had a father, it's in the animal kingdom. Fish, crab, shrimp, beef, um, goat meat, whatever it is, um, veal, lamb, um, I mean, some people, you know, eat frogs and snake meat and alligator. If it breathed, it walked, it crawled, it talked, it had a mom, it had a dad, it, belonged, it belonged to the animal kingdom. Now, protein, typically when we think of animals, we think of meat whether it's chicken meat or cow meat or goat meat. There are the proteins that we get from animals. A big one is dairy protein. Milk, animal milk. I use the term milk cautiously because not only do we have dairy milk, animal milk, we also have plant-based milks like almond milk, soy milk, tiger nut milk and the like. So when we talk about animal protein, we're referring to that protein from source after so just describe that animal source the meat the animal milk or the byproducts such as your sausages your burgers and this also includes all the milk byproducts which include cheese butter mayonnaise um what's their popular one Yogurt. I many may not know about mayonnaise, but yes, mayonnaise is a sort of animal source. Butter. Eggs are also animal protein. A very disturbing reality as before. Thank <laughs> you.
passes the goal, the goal. Because I don't want anybody to, after watching this goal, have a bad of that. Let them know that this is what we are talking about. It's turning up, it's turning on the, the, the effects they don't want to have. Okay, okay, just move. Okay, are you ready? So we we are doing our best to convey without any level of doubt what is animal protein. Yes. There are many things that uh, animal protein source will not associate easily. You all know tripe is animal protein. All those favorite meats that we buy when we go to the suya guy animal protein. The gizzard is animal protein. The, all the organ meats, whether it's the liver, the, the kidney, they're all the brocodile, animal protein. Okay? Even the eggs, caviar is the fancy name, but it's another name for eggs, fish eggs, it's animal protein. Guinefowl egg is animal protein. Yes, there are other things in the egg also. There's cholesterol, there are other healthy nutrients in the egg. But for the most part, they are animal protein. Do I say once more? If it walks, if it talks, if it made some kind of sound, um, if it breathed, if it excreted, if it made urine, if it had a mother, it had a father, it had two eyes, it belongs in the animal kingdom. So, we are trying to open your eyes to what you may be consuming, what you may be exposing yourself to. That may be bringing up effects that you really don't like in your body as far as your health is concerned. So Dr. Patrick has elaborated very much on that area. So you now know what animal product is, product derived from animals. There is no excuse or there is no pretense about it. I do not know what it means or I don't know the uh, which classes, which class this falls under. Let me add one more because this one I was addicted to for many years. Yes. Ice cream. I mean, folks. You can't outdo me when it comes to ice cream. Once upon a time. After that book, I give up ice cream. Prior to that, I was almost an ice cream addict. Literally every day I had ice cream. Especially at night. So you can see the doctor himself, even as a confession. <laughs> so for your health, I think you should be able to make changes as required. They say you can bring a horse, take a horse to the stream, but you cannot force the horse to drink the water. This whole video is about taking you to the stream. You are the one to decide. You know, your health is your choice, is your responsibility. So we are bringing you this trend. Really, the information you are getting at is health trend. It can transform your health if only you can apply it. So again, I mean, there, there is so much that the study pulled that even prior to the China study and even the China study itself. Dr. Campbell asked a question at a particular point. Yes. What is that particular protein that consistently and most strongly turned on the cancer growth, turned on the cancer? And I remember very well, he says it is casein. And casein makes up 87% of cow's milk protein. Doctor, would you want to add anything to that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I have a lot of friends who are watching this video. After this, they'd be like, Casein, C A S E I N, correctly, is the most abundant protein in dairy, in milk, in cow's milk, in most of our milk products. 
Yes, there are few animals that may have reduced level of casein, but cow's milk is the dominant milk that we consume globally. And that study literally was just casein switched on the genes, switched off the genes. So he did the study over and he checked it. If you don't believe us truly, just take time and read the book. Just as Godwin has gone through this catharsis, awakening this, I mean, and, and moved him to do this video, when I read the book, it pushed me into action. I made changes, changes in my nutrition. At that time, I had some health issues, and I was tired of taking certain medications. I made the changes with other measures. Casein is not only in the liquid cow milk, it's in the milk concentrates, it's in the evaporated milk, it's in the milk powder. It doesn't matter what the brand is, it's in the milk powder. And for my clients and my colleagues and friends who are into weightlifting and bodybuilding, who consume whey, whey protein and many of the high protein powders, it's in there. and simple, that study summarizes animal protein puts you at very high risk for cancer. So contained in animal protein, cow's milk protein precisely, casein, that makes up 87% of cow's milk protein, according to Dr. Campbell, in his study, this is the most consistent and strongest carcinogen as far as cancer is concerned in his research. He stated it clearly in that book. So we've talked much about animal-based protein and uh, maybe some of our viewers has asked, if you are telling us not to go for animal-based protein, what do we do? What do we eat? I mean, so that takes us to plant-based proteins. And doctor will elaborate on that now. Allow me to invoke our creator. In his wisdom, when he created man, where did he put man? In the garden. In the garden of Eden. What's in the garden? Everything about plants. Short ones, tall ones, medium-sized ones, root ones, flowery ones, fruitful ones, seedy ones. He knew the body would need protein. So it's clear that he put abundant sources of protein in the plant kingdom. Before we explain a bit further, let's just look at two examples. If we look at the most common source of animal protein, which is the cow, in many cultures. In some cultures, it's not the cow. What does the cow feed on? Plants. So it gets most of its nutrition from plants. So there is protein in plants. It's a herbivore, that's the technical or medical term, scientific term for animals that eat mostly plant-based um, food. Another massive mammal, massive animal, is the elephant. What does the elephant eat? Plants. Yes, seeds and nuts. So in all those sources, there's abundant protein in the seeds, in the nuts, in the plants, even in some of our vegetables. In, in mushrooms, which many of us totally are, are lost in our vocabulary because we don't, we're not socialized into eating mushrooms. 
Legumes are a major source of protein. Legumes include your beans, whether it's the black eyed peas, the brown beans, the white beans, pinto beans, green beans, kidney beans, the one that in my village we call olene, the agoin beans, they're all in that family. We talk about peas also. You have green peas, you have yellow peas, a wide range of peas. And then we have another group that we call lentils, all under the legume umbrella. Lentils are abundant here in Nigeria, but not as popular as you will find them in India and other countries in Southeast Asia. So we have sources of abundant protein. Now, other sources include some of our sea vegetables or seaweeds, algae for instance, spirulina, corella, even the one that we vex with that occupies our waterways, the water hyacinth. There's ample protein in a wide range of our vegetables, both the land-based vegetables and the aquatic or sea-growing vegetables. I was, um, I was in Kafanchan several years ago. Several years ago. And I, I went to talk to a group of um, prospects. So I went to the market and I saw a wide array of legumes, of beans. Here in Nigeria, we have best in abundance, so much more variety. If you want to appreciate our variety of legumes, just go to the particular shops, um, cultures that eat a lot of legumes, like the Indians, for instance, East Indians. Go to some of their shops. You see such an array of legumes and peas and beans. We have it in Nigeria. It's just such a variety. Plant-based proteins are what the body thrives on. We absorb them much easier, they're easier to digest, and they pack not only the protein, but a ton of other nutrients along with it. Vitamins, nutrients, both the macro and the micronutrients, those small things like zinc and selenium and manganese that the body benefits from also. They're all there within plant-based proteins. So, Doctor, what is the implication for this plant-based diet for health? Ah. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> Godwin, you're asking me to. You're asking me about properly. <laughs> for health, no, plant-based diet. For health. As one who has journeyed from being a meat lover, frankly, a meataholic. <laughs> I mean, when I was in school, when I would come back home, I drive to visit. If we live in four hours, I did not go to Suya John to buy Suya. I wasn't home yet. Even while in the US, at my church, I was the deputy barbecue chef. I mean, if I make for you a turkey barbecue, I mean, not only will you eat the turkey, you'll probably eat your fingers also, and you'll come back for seconds and thirds. So, it comes to me, I was, let me tell you one more story. There were times some of these um, fast food restaurants would have a buffet, a weekend buffet. I sit in the newspaper or hear it on the radio. That weekend, I'm off to that restaurant to enjoy the. And I would sit down and balance and consume 10, 12 pieces of chicken. Yes, this is me slim today. Wow. Once upon a time, I was almost 100 kg. So, when it comes to meat, I've been there, I've done it. Chicken suya, meat suya, giza. I've done it. 
and my health took a beating. It wasn't until the awakening, credit to Gordon um, Powell's book and other people that I believe God put in my pathway, opened my eyes to the health consequences of animal protein versus plant protein. I think the viewer already gets the drift that I've left the animal yes. kingdom, kingdom alone. Yes, yes. I'm fully entrenched with my two feet in plant-based protein. And data is showing over and over that those who consume more plant-based protein have less medical problems than otherwise. Yes, there are many factors that tie into our health and longevity. Food is one of them, nutrition. There's lifestyle, there's environment, there's a mindset, and, and there's a spiritual balance, and other areas. But today we're touching on nutrition. Plant-based proteins give you a buffet, an array of nutrients. Macro and micronutrients, I say it again. Because many of us are actually lacking when deficient in micronutrients. And if the body can get its apple store of those nutrients again, health improves. Don't take it from me. Do your own research. Go online. Read books like the China study. Read books by other, um, other noted, respected nutritionists and wellness advocates. Um, Dr. Geiger's book about how not to fall ill. There's just so, so much of The books are out there. Bottom line is, you are giving you information. You will decide. You will choose. You will get to the stream. We'll take you to the stream. You will decide to drink or not. Hopefully, you make the choice early enough. Because there's a price we will all pay. There's a price we must all pay for our health, our wellness, our longevity. Wisdom says pay that price earlier with wiser choices, especially with nutrition. Or time will have you pay a much greater price when illness shows up or illness worsens. And the ultimate price that your family pays in your absence. We talk about nutrition, we talk about food, but it's more than just that. It's who you are to others. It's how you care for this temple of yours, for that other temple to play with the children and the grandchildren, to go out with your spouse. It's your wellness, it's your health, it's your well-being. We've just touched on nutrition. When I read the book, I had an awakening. My eyes opened, my ears cleared. I made some choices. We're advising you to seriously explore plant-based nutrition. Some people can give up the meat altogether. Some cannot. Fine. At least listen to the study and cut down the animal products to less than 5%. Longevity. Health and longevity. Vitality in longevity will be your reward. And those around you will be the beneficiaries of health. Um, still talking about it now. We've heard what plant-based diets can do uh, when it comes to our health. Dr. Campbell, in his book, started discussing, after the study and talking about protein, animal diet, and plant-based, he started discussing a range of chronic diseases. I mean, a range of autoimmune diseases, cancer, kidney stones, blindness. I mean, I saw blindness, I was saying blindness again. So many. And then, 
he was consistently shown that, in fact, using his own words, a whole foods plant-based diet can reverse certain chronic conditions. This is this is valuable information. This is something that will say so that once more. Whole, whole foods, foods plant based. based diet. He's added whole foods, foods plant based. based. Yes. So many of us will say, well, I'm eating bread. Bread is made from wheat. Isn't that plant based? Plant -based. It's processed. Highly processed. Whole foods. Get the food from the source. Is that what whole means? What does whole food mean? In entirety. For instance, you're going to eat pap. Use the entire corn kernel. You're making millet pap, use the entire millet grain. If you're eating potato, many of the potato skins are actually edible. If you're eating brown nut, don't peel off the skin. Enjoy it with the skin. You want to start to process and apply different methods to cook the food, you destroy nutrients. And in many cases, a lot of the nutrients are destroyed. As much as possible, the whole food in its natural form, not the chemicalized form, not the inorganic fertilized chemical added form, because those things also do what? They take out nutrients from the food. They give it enzymes in the food. And when you consume them, they have negative effects. Whole foods plant-based diet is as much as possible a lot of foods in the natural form, in the raw form, or the minimally cooked or prepared form. Yes. Then, you are you are a doctor, and in your experience, you and here Dr. Campbell has made the research, produced evidence. I mean, this is facts. You brought out the facts. In your experience as a doctor. Yeah, you will come across cases where chronic illnesses were reversed using whole foods, plant-based diets. I mean, the apple, maybe I will, I, will, I will like the viewer who may still have, I mean, this information can be, just like doctor said, it's enlightening. It challenges you to your core. I mean, these are habits, eating meat, these are habits that is entrenched in us. It's deep down in us. Some, some people will say it is impossible that I give up these habits, not knowing not, not understanding the price they are going to pay and not also knowing the benefit that they are going to accrue on the other side. Not also knowing that. So, those, in, um, when we adopt the consumption of whole foods, plant based diets, in your experience, is there, is there what you can relate to us that will at least let the viewers understand this actually reverses these conditions? The risk of contemporary chronic generative health problems is increasing. In Nigeria, the major ones, diabetes, high blood pressure, cancer, now we're seeing the influx or the presence of autoimmune disorders, things like multiple sclerosis, very popular one, lupus, increasingly being diagnosed by my colleagues at, at, at Luth. One has to understand from the individual, the patient, not only, first of all, correctly diagnose the, the disease, but also understand from the history that the client gives you what are the factors that have affected this disease to occur. Nutrition is one of them. Lifestyle is another. The environment is a factor. 
the aspect of nutrition is one area that we can improve with the knowledge we have today. And if that is a dominant factor in the cause, the cause of that ailment, as you alter nutrition, you gradually see some improvement. Now, having said that, I'm a bit cautious, not to make it so simplistic. Yes. So some folks have come to us with stage four cancer, saying that someone taught them yes. some kind of diet, yeah. and they've been doing it for the last six months, eight months, 12 months, and haven't sought medical attention. Frankly, anyone who's doing that is, is, is malpractice. Such an individual must be appropriately cautioned, and that client should be sent to a doctor. Do not attempt to, quote unquote, reverse your diabetes by yourself, or, or, or reverse your cancer by yourself. There's a lot we haven't covered today that is involved in the appearance of these chronic degenerative diseases. The metabolic factors, there's many other factors that are involved that have to be addressed. In this arena, we look at the totality of the person, nutrition, lifestyle, and other areas, and then design a comprehensive plan to address these various factors. Many people, especially our young folks today, the lifestyle, the stressful lifestyle is a factor. They're up at 4 in the morning to be at the office for 7, 7.30, work till 7.30 p.m., 8.30 p.m., leave there, spend two hours in traffic, get home by 10.30 p.m., sleep for three, four hours, they're off work the following day. So all, this, all these factors must be put into consideration, preferably by a well-trained healthcare practitioner who also understands the area of whether it's holistic medicine, unconventional medicine, wellness medicine, and the popular term today, functional medicine. At our center, we have cases, cases, and cases. Folks have come to us and over time, we've been able to reverse their diabetes. What does that mean? Over time, six months, nine months, we're able to gradually wean them off their medications, keeping their sugar levels well controlled. And over time, eventually, for some, off medication. For some, they are on maybe just half of a dose of medication. Not everyone has the discipline. Not everyone has the tenacity. Not everyone has the environment that is supportive enough to allow such a journey to occur. Likewise, with autoimmune challenges, with cancer, you understand what are the factors that allow this to occur, and then we actually take step-by-step -step measures to help the body regain its healthy environment. So again, I'm being cautious in this arena. We don't take things into their hands and it's, it's too sad when people show up here and the disease is so far gone whether it's renal disease or something that could have been addressed at an earlier age more comprehensively but in the day to day because someone gave them advice or they went to one or two trainings here and there or some something online and took it into their own hands with the advice of a friend or a coach or whatever and then today the disease has progressed to a point that is much harder and much more costly to address or to reverse. So I can see that your approach to health is, if I will use my own term, comprehensive. You know, you talked about the lifestyle, talked about the environment, the nutrition, spirituality, mindset. Somebody will listen to this and say, I mean, spirituality, how does it connect to good mindset? What is he talking about? So the doctor is really having, a, 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 like I said, it's my own term, a comprehensive approach to wellness. So we've heard it, don't, don't, don't just change your diet without consulting a medical practitioner, someone who's an expert in the field. So we, I, I, I would like us to touch on 
acidity, body pH level. Um, I would like us to touch on it because last year, in 2017, again, uh, of course, at this stage, if I say that Dr. Idewe is my mentor when it comes to health, this will not be a surprise. Last year, I organized a workshop, and I remember it was him and Dr. Ibn Koshi, and they talked about acidity and alkalinity. In fact, I think that triggered my awakening. My awakening did not just start with channel study, I think that triggered it, where he made us understand that, you know, the body has the ability to heal itself it is hard if it gets what it needs yes if, if there is a right condition if there is a right condition the body can be placed in that something can get transformed and in fact i'll leave it to the doctor to discuss that now body ph level acidity versus alkalinity to start this discussion we'll pause for a moment to give credit to one of my mentors who we buried last week Professor Joseph Jolibor. Um, Jolibor was our guest many times on the radio, and he woke us up to the importance of pH of water. He was a very firm, very scientific advocate of drinking water that was alkaline. Naturally alkaline, not artificially made alkaline. On that, on that cloud, Dr. Koshi, we talk about the need to keep the body in an alkaline state. Again, coming back to science, science has shown, has proven, that the body, the human body, is mildly alkaline by nature, a pH of about 7.4. For those of you who may not recall your pH scale from our school days, 0 to 14. 7 and below is considered acidic, 7 and above, up to 14 is considered alkaline or a base. So the body in 7.4 is considered mildly alkaline. Today, our nutrition tends to focus on the foods that are mostly acid forming. What does that mean? When we eat certain things, it creates an acidity in the body puts a strain on the body to try and neutralize it into the alkaline range. Professor Tushodipo, Dr. Koshi, emphasized the need for us to help the body retain its alkaline environment by what we drink, by what we eat. And interestingly, as many of us find out as we read more on this journey of health and wellness, that many of the foods that occur in nature, in the Garden of Eden, are also alkaline. Many of our vegetables, many of our fruits, even a few of the ones that we think are acidic because they are citric. In the body, they are converted to what we call acid forming. I'm sorry, alkaline forming. So, again, we give you information. What's in the Garden of Eden, what's in nature abundantly, is alkaline. Human body is alkaline. Hello, there's something here. The body thrives, or its various end systems, including enzyme systems and organ systems, tend to thrive in primarily alkaline environments. Going back to the 1940s and 1950s, <coughs> books have been written 
<coughs> using quotations online by scientists who stated very clearly, unequivocally, that cancer can only thrive or exist in an acidic medium, in an acid body, a body that is loaded with a lot of acidic nutrients. Whereas when the body is alkaline, the body system, including the immune system, are functional, functional at an optimal capacity and reduces the possibility of ailments, including cancer, from taking root. Yes, we're speaking some general terms, but for this discussion, let's keep it at that general level. Acidity, okay. May I ask one more question in that line? Why keeping at the general level? What are those things that predisposes the body to an acidic environment? And what are those things that predisposes the body to an alkaline environment? We are talking, we're talking on nutrition, so let's look at nutrition. Meat, animal protein. Animal protein number one, number two, animal protein. Number three, animal protein. Number four, processed foods. Most of our processed foods, whether it's in the can, in the bottle, in the packets, also predispose us to creating a more acidic medium in our bodies when we consume these foods. How about the alkaline? Alkaline, simple way to, to put it is Garden of Eden. Most of our fresh fruits, vegetables, some, some of our seeds, some of our legumes are slightly acidic or neutral. Um, for the most part, most of our natural occurring plants and vegetables are alkaline. When we process some of our natural foods, we can actually cause them to become acidic or acid forming in the body. Hence, we encourage more of the natural foods and less of the processed foods. If you must consume both, like many of us do, let the alkaline foods be dominant. So keep the meats to you know, that low percentage and keep the alkaline foods to a much, 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 much higher percentage. So, doctor? Thank you for availing us your time and maybe I would like you to give a word of advice to those who because some people when we give them information like this we may hear responses like um, after all man will die one day <laughs> so um, oh. man will die so they keep on with the habits that you know, that does not really benefit them. What advice do you have for those set of people? They are absolutely correct that man will die one day or man will die one day very true. I can put it very simply. What happens to you before you die? Part of if you've lived a very acidic life, it's an illness. Expensive illness. Running to the doctor, running to the pharmacy, um, all kinds of medications, it's costly. Number two, the social angle. By the burden you place on others when you are ill, your wife, your children, your co-workers, by your absence. There's such a price to pay when we fail to take heed to many of the things that we've, we've just talked about. Yes, we will all pass away sometimes, 
someday that is unquestionable but it's I would like to I think most of us would like to pass away healthy mentally active physically active intellectually clear enjoying life walking talking doing other things than to be bedridden hospitalized for two weeks four weeks weeks at a time being a burden being a total cost factor to, to those to your, to your descendants and to those around you so it's not about dying it's about the quality of life you have in your mature in your older in those last three five to ten years it's about who you are to others are you a joy to be around are you out there playing with the grandchildren or are you in hospital are you a burden financial burden time burden I think most of us want to be in the first category where we spend the time with our children and grandchildren, nephews, even for some of us, we get to the age where we have great-grandchildren. We want to be mentally sharp, to some degree sharp, physically able to walk, move around, take care of ourselves. The quality of life in those last five to ten years is what we really want. And many things we discussed today will take you in that direction. It's not only about who you are, but also who you are to others. So you owe it to yourself and to your loved ones around you to take care of your health. Put your wellness first. Before you eat that, you know, hate or whatever it is, will this add to my health and well-being? Will this keep me around to have fun with the grandchildren? Allow me to take the wife on a, on a cruise? On Just do fun things. Let's, let's, let's enjoy life. Let's not, let's enjoy life, period. Into longevity, let's have wellness. Exactly, because you've touched on an area, somehow we've asked, many people tend to associate old age with ill health. So that need not be, it, did not, it need not be, and allow me to use my late mentor, Professor Bishop Chodipo, passed away at age 92. This gentleman was still writing books, reading newspapers, walking up and down his stairs before he passed away. He was still very active. He would come to the clinic sometimes every other, every other week. Um, we have a cancer support group. He will talk with the members of the support group, listen to them, facilitate. And if you heard us in the discussion that was incorrect, he would engage in the discussion to correct us. He was still teaching us. As a guest on our radio program, he would walk up the stairs. He would not use the elevator. He would come up four flights of stairs. Above 90 years. Age 1991 and 92. Another example is, um, his name was Joseph also, um, who was a chorister at Holy Cross Cathedral. This gentleman passed away the way I think many of us would like to transition. That morning, he went to church, had communion, spent time with the grandkids, had breakfast with them, went to, went to the bedroom, lay down to have rest, age 91. And from that, Rest the transition. Professor Shudipo, Professor as we fondly call him, was not on any medications. Didn't have a diagnosis of diabetes, high blood pressure, arthritis. He didn't have a wrinkle on his face. When you give the body the right input, it will reward you in, into the wellness and longevity. And yes, Professor did not eat meat. And yes, he did not drink milk. <laughs> and yes, he drank alkaline water. 
and yes, he ate mostly fresh fruits. He ate one cooked meal a day. Rest was mostly salads, fruits and vegetable salads. Yes, he made it to age 92. And yes, he's transitioned painfully, but he left for us a legacy that many of us are delighted, honored, privileged to continue. And you hear from us over and over as we try and take us, our people, back into the arena of wellness. We've entered this sickness zone, this illness zone, with many of the habits and social social behaviors that we we we, we, we assumed and assimilated. I did not say that, but Patrick is passionate about bringing wellness to people, as we've seen in this interview. So, viewers, we brought you the information needed as far as wellness is concerned. So, like we said, we leave it to you to drink the water, and we hope you make the conscious choice, the right choice for the sake of your health, the good of your family, the good of your loved ones. Thank you very much. And thank you indeed, Dr. Patrick Jury, for joining us. We are so very grateful. I've been lost your time of this health transforming interview. Thank you, viewers.